if you would uh, grab your Bibles and go to the last book in the Bible, uh, the book of Revelation. So today, today we're starting, we're going to be studying Revelation for probably about six months. We're going to be in this book for most of the fall, a little bit of the spring. Um, and so today we're just going to introduce the book and talk about all the cool stuff in here. So I, uh, I rarely use sports illustrations uh, for a couple of reasons. First, because you'll probably hear one uh, from Buster in about an hour. But second, <laughs> uh, because I know, I know that for every person who's like, ooh, football, there's one person who's like, ugh, football. So I don't normally do them, but I'll give you, I'll give you my one sports illustration for the year, okay? Uh, college football has begun. There are lots of ranked teams out there. We've got probably got some Clemson fans in here, maybe a few Alabama fans, but those are the top two teams in the country. Uh, but I want you to imagine um, what the locker room is like uh, when, you know, Alabama is playing, I don't know, North Midlands Tech of the Florida Keys or whatever, whatever small teams they play, right, right? In the beginning, like most college football teams start off their, uh, their seasons by playing teams they will certainly destroy, or most of the time. But just imagine, uh, imagine the locker room of the opposing team before the game, all right? And uh, imagine uh, what you guys think the head coach is trying to do. Um, I think uh, there are a few things. He's probably trying to uh, help his players not dread the next two hours of their lives. He's hopefully trying to inspire them uh, that beating this team is possible. Um, he's trying to convince them of that. And uh, he's, he's hopefully laying out a little game plan. Um, and uh, I think... In the minds of some of you guys, uh, what we're going to attempt over the next six months might seem like playing Alabama. Uh, we, are, we are going to the book where Bible commentators and preachers go to die, okay? Revelation, <laughs> all right? When every, everything is preachable until we get to chapter 7 and chapter 8 and all the scrolls and seals and angels and beasts come out of the earth. And um, in fact, one of my heroes, uh, John Calvin, uh, he wrote uh, so much on the scriptures. His, his books fill bookshelves. He never wrote a thing about Revelation. He said he didn't understand it. Um, and so uh, this morning, uh, I just want to do two things. Uh, I want to first uh, convince and inspire you that this book uh, is understandable and applicable to your life. It's not just a book full of future stuff that has nothing to do with you unless you're living in the last days. I want to convince you of that. And then I want to kind of lay out uh, how... Uh, we're going to study this book. So what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the first eight verses, introduction to the book. And uh, I'm not going to necessarily teach through them verse by verse, but I will, I will use some of these verses to demonstrate the main themes of the book and how this book works. So let's read uh, Revelation 1, verses 1 to 8. We'll pray, and then we'll talk through the book. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. For the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of earth, or the kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, 
priest of his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for this book. Uh, thank you that indeed, Lord, you have revealed the things that must soon take place to us for our good, to encourage us in our present lives. And we just pray as we, uh, as we talk through uh, this book that you would uh, enable us just to see the beauty of it and the goodness of it and to richly apply it to our lives. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm happy you guys all uh, survived Hurricane Florence. And of course, our, we need to pray and give to those who have been impacted by it. But I'd also like to, you to congratulate for surviving uh, all of the collective widespread panic that ensued Charleston the moment we entered the cone of uncertainty. Uh, one, of our, uh, one of our group members, Sean McNally, uh, all, whenever a hurricane's headed towards Charleston, he posts on Facebook and he says, the worry cane has begun, you know? And um, I think uh, whenever, whenever a hurricane is headed towards Charleston, people just lose their heads. They just, all of their rational thinking goes out the door. Now again, hurricanes are serious. They can cause major damage. They can wreck lives. I get that. But here's, here's the kind of irrational things we do, all right? We know my plan is to evacuate. I'm leaving. I'm not staying. Okay, I'm going. But I'm going to Walmart and getting 15 cases of bottled water. <laughs> just in case, even though I'm leaving, right? Or um, I know that the hurricane is literally five days away. But I'm just going to, every three-hour update, I'm going to look at it. I'm going to keep watching. I'm just gonna, the storm's just going to circle in my brain every time I close my eyes for five days. I have no idea where it's going, okay? We just, we just lose our heads when hurricanes come. And uh, for various reasons, uh, many Christians uh, seem to lose their heads uh, when they open the book of Revelation. Some of us, uh, because of the way this book communicates, we leave a lot of our common sense about the Bible at the door when we open this book. Uh, just, just consider a few things, a few funny examples. Uh, if you were a Christian, and even a, maybe just an American, uh, you probably heard of the Left Behind series. Uh, it's a series of like seven, eight, nine, ten, very much fictional accounts of the last days. And here's, here's, the, here's the funniest thing about the, book, the, the series of books, okay? Aside from those terrible movies they made with Nicolas Cage. Um, the funniest thing about the books is that, uh, sorry, poor, poor Nick. Uh, anyways, um, is it begins with the rapture, which is where apparently uh, before all the tribulation begins, Jesus just uh, shoots up all of his people to heaven, right? Uh, the interesting thing about that entire series is that there is, there's really no evidence in the scriptures for the rapture. In fact, as we read Revelation, we'll see very clearly God's people are present in the sufferings of the last days. And so uh, they just take this one little verse out of 1 Thessalonians, and they build an entire fictional series about it. Uh, and, if, of course, your pastor back home taught you guys about that. I hope you're not offended. We'll, we'll talk through it. I hope to convince you, okay? Um, but even if you grew up in a Christian home, particularly if you grew up in the Southern Baptist tradition, you may have heard some really strange things about Revelation, like the fact that the, uh, 
the beasts that come, I think this is Revelation 9 or 10, and sting people. Well, those, those are probably Apache helicopters. So, uh, so you better watch out because we might be living in the last days. I've heard that before. Or maybe, maybe, okay, maybe uh, like many Christians, you did a, reading the Bible through a year and you got to Revelation and you read through it and you were like, well, that was very interesting. And I think I will never come back to this book again, right? But uh, this morning, uh, my hope is to help us not lose our heads. Uh, I want to convince you guys that this book uh, is a unique in genre in the Bible, but the common sense things we do with all books of the Bible are still here. So first, that brings us to my first point, okay? Revelation is a book that is based in reality, right? Uh, it, is a, it was written by a historical figure to seven local churches, and this author had a clear purpose in mind for these seven churches. Notice verse 4, the verses we all ignore in every letter. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. All right? This verse, at its very least, means that this book had a real author. He was conscious of the fact that he was writing this book. Uh, probably this is the Apostle John who wrote the Gospel of John, First and Second and Third John. Potentially someone else, but most likely uh, the Apostle John. And notice John has a purpose in mind in writing this book. Look at verse 3. He pronounce a bl- pronounces a blessing. Uh, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. So just be encouraged. You guys, are, you guys can be happy just by being under the teaching of this book. But, but notice <laughs> the very end. Blessed are those who keep what is written in it or who obey what is written in it, right? You can't uh, keep any commands in a book that just tell you all about the end times and nothing about your life, right? There's something here that's applicable to the churches it was written to. There's something meant to change their lifestyle, to change the way they view the world, to change the way they act. Um, In verse verse 11, this is uh, a little bit from next week, but verse 11 shows us these seven churches that uh, John was writing to. uh, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And if we, as we read chapters 2 and 3, we'll see that these churches are very, very much human local churches. All of them, uh, with the exception of one perhaps, are really struggling. Some of them uh, have good doctrine, but no passionate love for Jesus. Some of them are indulging in sexual immorality. Some of them are embracing false teaching that says that God's biblical ethics on sexuality aren't true. Some of them... Uh, have the reputation for being alive or dead, you guys could go in the local Charleston area and find churches like these, right? Um, and so the main point of, of this is this book is not primarily about telling you what's going to happen in the last days. It does that. It gives you some pictures of what's going to happen. I think real historical events. It's primarily about taking those pictures and applying them to your current messy life. The idea of this book is that these seven churches would, would grow and would move towards Christ-likeness through seeing these visions, through understanding what's going to happen. Um, so who are these churches? What was their situation? What was it like? Uh, the most important thing to know about these churches is they lived in the late first century Roman Empire. 
And uh, the biggest thing about Rome that we've got to understand to get into this book is that Rome did not understand the separation of church and state. They didn't separate civic social life with religious life. And perhaps maybe in the West we separate them, those things too much. But uh, just, just for example, let's pretend uh, that you were an engineer, <clears throat> all right, and uh, you go to work on Monday, and your boss comes up and he says, hey, we've got a big project this week. It's due on Thursday. We're going to have to kill it all week, guys. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to our altar, uh, the altar of Ingenius, the god of engineers. You like that? That's, that's good, right? We're, 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 we're going to make an offering uh, to Ingenius. We're going we're gonna to worship him, pray to him, and bring him food. And uh, if you're a Christian, uh, here are your two options. Uh, you can participate in this and, and commit idolatry and essentially deny Jesus and his lordship, or you can probably get fired because the guy who does not participate in worshiping Ingenius is going to drag our team down. Those are your choices, all right? Uh, additionally, um, many of these cities uh, listed here uh, were cities with imperial cults in them, and these were uh, people in Rome who worshiped the emperor as a sort of living god in their midst, and so they literally worshiped the, 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 Ro the Roman emperor. So just imagine, okay, next July 4th rolls around, all right? And Americans are doing their barbecue thing. We're out with American flags wrapped around us, all that stupid stuff, okay? But in addition to that, we have bronze statues of Donald Trump everywhere, okay? And we are, we are laying down a warfare. Now, again, that, that's funny because he's so unpopular. But just imagine if in America his approval rate was 90% and the 10% who didn't approve were in jail because it's illegal not to approve of him, all right? That's where we live. You speak against the emperor, you get killed, all right? So here are your choices as a Christian, all right? You can choose not to participate in cultural and social life. Don't go. Seclude yourself. No fun. No life in public. All right? Or you can go and either participate and commit idolatry and deny Jesus or just kind of go along with it. Or you can say, I'm not going to do this and be ostracized and scorned and rejected and persecuted. All right? That is the world in which these churches lived. One more thing. Uh, We'll see this when we get to Revelation 2 and 3. In addition to all this, this cultural pressure, okay, and we're, not, we're not, in the, not in the place yet where they're outright persecuting and jailing and killing Christians yet. We're not there yet. That's later on in the second and third centuries, okay? But in addition to uh, the pressure of Rome, you had Jews uh, who were actively persecuting and hunting down Christians. You can just read the book of Acts. I just finished that in my Bible reading plan, and uh, you see all through Acts how the, the Jews would just hire hitmen to kill Christian teachers. Like, like that happens all throughout. People are trying to kill Paul. And so there, there are Jews that are actively, illegally, without government approval, trying to persecute and kill Christians. So the point of all this is that Revelation is, is primarily written to address the church in a situation where they're dealing with great cultural pressure to deny Jesus or great cultural pressure to just kind of let idolatry in their lives go on, uh, great pressure to not embrace the suffering and persecution that naturally come along with living the Christian life. And if we see that, um, I think we can see very quickly how this book is very applicable to our day. Do we not live uh, in a time in American life where there is great pressure, even if there's not persecution, there's great pressure to not be faithful to Jesus? Consider three pressures uh, really quickly. There's a pressure to not share the gospel um, this probably is the biggest one in our day. You ever wonder why evangelism is hard? The evangelism is hard because we live in a culture uh, that has said, 
uh, do not tell me how to live, right? This, and the funny thing, it's not the only culture there is. Uh, in fact, uh, one of our pastors uh, on staff here, Craig Harris, lived in India for 15 years, and you would think it'd be harder to engage an Indian in your second language who's cross-cultural, who you don't have any shared experience with the gospel. Craig said it was much easier to evangelize in India because as a culture, they're very open to spiritual dialogue. Um, here in America, we're not that way. So there's this pressure um, to not open your mouth and speak about Jesus. There's pressure to approve of sin. Um, there's probably even more pressure in our day to approve, to openly say, it is okay in God's eyes for you to live out the LGBT lifestyle, right? In fact, we see uh, maybe, the, maybe the only real forms of persecution in our day are when uh, Christian bakers lose thousands of dollars and are sued uh, in fact, the CEO of CrossFit, uh, after uh, firing one of his executives for shooting a tweet off about uh, how gay marriage is not right in God's eyes, wasn't a hateful tweet, just maybe not a wise one, but uh, the CEO of CrossFit said this, he should just shut the blank up about it, okay? That's one of the pressures we have uh, in America. Finally, and this is the one that I think is uh, maybe most dangerous, there is a pressure to live for the American dream. Um, you guys may not feel this as much as the other pressures, but we live in a culture that says you must have your best life now, right? You've got to find emotional fulfillment now. You've got to be comfortable. You've got to have a meaningful career. You've got to have the spouse and house and two and a half kids. There's this pressure uh, to set the goals and aims of your life on that. And Revelation, through lots of these visions through all these crazy things that happen, is going to say to us, first, there is a very uh, clear reason why the pressure is here, and that's because all world kingdoms eventually uh, eventually rebel and oppose God and his people. Right? And as a believer, you must actively resist the pressure. You must swim upstream if you're going to be faithful to Jesus. All that being said, though, before we go too much into application, uh, this is a book about reality. It's truths, though maybe communicated in strange ways to our ears, are all about the church living faithfully in its circumstances. So, uh, but as any, any glance at Revelation will demonstrate very quickly, uh, it brings us this message in some very strange ways. Uh, next week, uh, we're going to see a vision of Jesus. And one of the most interesting things about this vision is that Jesus has a sword coming from his mouth. And you're like, is that like, does he actually have a, you know, right? Uh, we'll see um, a beast rise from the waters. Uh, we'll see a serpent trying to eat a baby when it comes out of a woman, and he'll breathe, he'll breathe water at the, the baby, but then the earth will open up and swallow the water, and the baby's fine, and the woman's fine. You're like, what is going on? We'll see plagues. We'll see the world end, by my count, seven times in the book. The world just keeps ending over and over again. Uh, it seems a little strange. Uh, this is the hardest part of the book. Uh, but let me, let me give you a couple of reasons for why it's so hard. First, um, who here, outside of the Bible, has read a lot of prophecy in their leisure time? Uh, who here is reading, this, this year has read lots of prophecy in the Bible? Maybe a few of you. Maybe only if you're on a Bible in the year plan. Uh, well, interestingly enough, uh, prophecy was a very common genre of literature uh, in the first century. Now, obviously, like, I don't think any of them were true outside of scriptures, but uh, the people who, who first read this book 
would have understood the way uh, prophecy communicates. And there were two big things about prophecy that are important for us. Uh, first, prophecy communicates meaning symbolically. It communicates meaning with symbols. It gives us word pictures. Um, so again, you open up Romans or Second Peter. All right, what you're looking for are plain statements of truths that you can just take into your life. You open up the Psalms, you just pray through them, okay? You open up Revelation, all of a sudden, there's this, this next step that says, I've got to figure out not just what it says literally, okay, but what these images were meant to communicate. So when we see Jesus with a sword coming out of his mouth, that doesn't mean that when he turns around, you better duck, okay? The idea of a sword coming from his mouth indicates that, man, his word, right, just his voice is, a, is like a weapon, it strikes down the nations. It rescues his people. Um, that's how strong he is, just his word. Uh, and Revelation is full of these images. Uh, just imagine, okay, uh, if I was describing, and I'm thankful Sarah's not in the room at this moment, but imagine I was describing my love for my wife, and I said, Sarah's face is a Chick-fil-A sandwich at noon, okay? <laughs> first, uh, first, you'd say, Leland, you should not take up love poetry, okay? First, you'd but second, all right, that's kind of strange, okay? But if you think about how desirable a Chick-fil-A sandwich is at noon, right? Right, if you just, if you, yeah, especially on Sunday, like if you just, if you're, all, all of a sudden, what I'm communicating, okay, uh, in a really silly way is my desire for my bride. And we'll see throughout Revelation, uh, the key to not uh, just saying this book is crazy, I can't understand it, is that uh, all of the crazy pictures we see here, some of them do depict literal future events but most of them the mode of communication is primarily symbolic um and we'll have a little help with these symbols uh one helpful thing about revelation is that uh, it is uh, drenched in the old testament so again next week we'll see jesus is like a son of man okay all of a sudden that points us back to daniel 9 which describes this vision of the son of man so we'll have some help with these symbols one more thing about prophecy uh, as it communicates the future to speak to the present. Uh, you guys might have been here uh, over the summer when we talked through Jonah. All right, and Jonah very famously goes into Nineveh, and he says in three days, Nineveh will be overthrown. All right, or 40 days, I think it was. And uh, Nineveh repents, and guess what? They're not overthrown. So was Jonah a liar? Well, maybe he was because he was a bad person. But um, in this instance, no. Uh, in fact, prophecies throughout the Bible, when God... Uh, is prophesying judgment or when he's prophesying blessing. The whole point of pronouncing the future all right, is to change your present. God prophesies judgment over people so that they will repent and not have to go under judgment. He prophesies blessing in the future so that his people can be comforted in the present. And so uh, when we see the beast in chapter, uh, I think this is chapter 12, rise out of the earth, and conquer and kill the saints, all right? The point is not that we need to figure out who this beast is and when he's coming and how do we get away from him, okay? The point is that, hey, listen, this is history's pattern. Evil kingdoms rise up and they persecute and oppose God's people. And so as you live in the present, as you deal with your pressures, know that. Be, be informed. Understand this is, this is what your life's going to look like. And Revelation gives us, gives us pictures over and over again, kind of in weird places of God's people, victorious, free from sin, worshiping Jesus, finally at home, right? Um, when you see those, the point of those is not just, man, heaven's going to be cool, but hey, listen, if you persevere, if you continue, you're going to conquer, you're going to win, you're going to have this, 
This is your price. All right. So uh, Revelation is a book based in reality. It's not a strange, crazy, left behind, what's going to happen in the future kind of book. Uh, it, is, it communicates this truth uh, through symbolic visions primarily. All right. But what's the big picture? What's the big point? All right. I'll give you a, a long statement, a short statement, and then we'll kind of walk through briefly and talk through the book. So Revelation is a symbolic vision of the triune God working out history for his purposes. All right, it reveals two primary things. All right, it reveals history's pattern, all right, that all earthly kingdoms, including America, okay, all earthly kingdoms eventually rebel and oppose God and persecute his people. Right? Second thing it reveals is that God's promise, he will rescue and deliver and finally save his people. So, in light of that, the church must endure and be faithful and continue. That's a long version. Here's a short version, all right? Here's what you can write down. Here's what I want you to chew on, okay? God will win, so conquer the beast without and the beast within, all right? God will win, so conquer the beast without and the beast within. So really briefly, how does Revelation show us that God will win? Uh, notice even in uh, verse 4, we see it. John begins with grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. Notice that God is described at the very beginning as the God sovereign over time. He's always existed before human history started. He is always present. He is the one coming to close history. Verse 8 says it in a different way. I am the Alpha and Omega. Alpha and Omega were the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet, if you don't know that, okay? So I'm the beginning and the end. I'm everything in between. God is sovereign. Uh, the rest of the book clearly reveals Jesus winning. Uh, chapters 2 and 3 describe the local churches and all their messes, all the sufferings going on. Chapters 4 and 5, right after that, gives us a picture of all people worshiping before the throne. And the idea there is, hey, listen, in the middle of your mess, here's what's really going on. God is exalted. He's sovereign. When we get to chapter 6 through 16, the oh-so-difficult portion of Revelation with all the seals and angels and judgments and beasts, all right, what is happening? We see over and over again, God is moving history towards the rescue of his people and the judgment of his enemies. He's sovereign. He's behind history's story. And at the end of Revelation, in chapters 17 to 22, we're going to see three visions. One of the destruction of earthly kingdoms. One of the final battle, which isn't really a battle because Jesus just opens his mouth and it's over. And finally, a picture of God and his people at home forever in bliss. God will win. So, if you're reading your news feed or watching our presidents or seeing how slowly but surely free speech and religious freedom are being eroded in our country and or you feel like your personal life is chaos, Revelation will call you to see beyond the veil of this present life and see God exalted, sovereign, moving everything, moving your life, moving history towards his purposes. And if you love the world and really enjoy 
America and find yourself more and more at home here, find your sexual ethics slipping away. You should beware. You are growingly becoming more like the beast. You're more and more loving that thing that's going to, as this book will say, burn forever and ever and ever. Um, God hasn't, it's not just that God will win, he has already won his people. Look at uh, verse 5, we just got to park on this little gospel description. It's the middle of verse 5, that second paragraph you'll see there. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Just uh, just notice um, that if you're a Christian, if you're walking with Jesus, if you've uh, trusted him, that he has already won you. You notice that? It says here, Jesus loves you. Do you see that? He presently, in this moment, wherever your life is right now, okay, he loves you with that same kind of love he had when he was pouring his life out on the cross. That love is presently poured on your life, whether you, whether you feel it or not. Right? And he's freed you from your sins. You might struggle with sin. You might, you might, you might be dealing with it, but, but you have been freed from it. They will not conquer you. All right? He's made you a kingdom. So God will win. All right? Therefore, conquer the beast without and the beast within. Um, this book uh, will consistently call God's people to conquer. The word conquer uh, means to overcome. It's a military word. It means to have victory, to win, to beat. All right? Um, the interesting thing about this word, though, is that Revelation blows it on its head. You just go to, with me to Revelation 5 really quickly. All right, there's this, uh, there's this moment where there's a scroll coming, and uh, it reveals history, and nobody can open it. Nobody in heaven and earth. And John starts to weep, and uh, the elders speak to him, one of the people in this vision. Verse 5, he says, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. All right, so we see Jesus has conquered. The lion of Judah is Jesus. Okay? But notice what happens in verse 6. The lion appears, and actually, between the throne and four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. So how does Jesus conquer? <clears throat> he conquers by dying for his enemies, right? He conquers by submitting himself to his Father's will, even if that will is for him to suffer and die. And that idea of conquering is how the church has to conquer, Throughout this book, uh, we see it. Uh, chapter, uh, chapter 7, verse 12 says this even more clearly. Uh, they say that the church has conquered the evil one. All right? He's conquered the evil one by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, for they love their, not their lives even unto death. The church conquers. This call for you to conquer, it's not a call for you to get on Twitter okay, and light some people up or to start a political movement, or to vote in ways that preserve Christian values, right? Uh, it's a call, like Jesus, to conquer this present world, to conquer this world order that's opposed to you, all right, through a life poured out as a sacrifice, through a life of love, for the sake of your enemies. Uh, just notice, this is a really cool verse 7. 
uh, ch- sorry, chapter 1, verse 7. We're back in the beginning. Um, Behold, Jesus is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of earth will wail on account of him. This passage sounds a lot like, man, when Jesus comes, everybody's going to be, they're done. Well, actually, this is a, this references uh, Zechariah. I think it's Zechariah 4.12, where it says that they will look upon him whom they have pierced. And they will wail, and their wailing is sorrowful repentance. And so the idea of this book is some nations will wail because of judgment, but the nations here, they're gonna, some of them are going to wail in repentance. And in fact, the church's mission through this book okay, is to conquer the present world order by loving their enemies, by bearing witness to Jesus, and by seeing those people who oppose God and his kingdom come to faith in Christ, become God's people. So conquer the beast without, the beast outside of you, this beastly kingdom. But uh, don't just conquer the beast without, conquer the beast within. More dangerous than your culture, the Babylon outside of you, is the Babylon within you. Um, There is this nature we have that we want to coast, we want to enjoy life, we want life to be easy. And Jesus says here that will not do. Uh, The harshest words... Jesus has for anybody in the scriptures, at least in my opinion, are to this church in Laodicea. This is chapter 3, verse 15. He says, I know your works. You were neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I've prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So there's this church. Jesus describes them as something that's very tasteless in their mouth. He's going to spit them out. It's about as harsh as it gets, right? Why? Is it because they're sleeping around? Is it because they're heretics? Is it because they're doing lots of terrible things? No. It's because they're complacent. Because they've got millions of hours of Netflix that they can numb themselves to life to. Because they um, can just hang out. They've prospered a little bit, and they're fine. Um, Laodicea, wasn't, they weren't content with their circumstances, They were content with who they were. They were complacent about their lives with Jesus. And Jesus says here, you must conquer that in you. You must must put that to death. Living faithfully, according to Revelation, is, is, is living a sacrificial life of love. There's no such thing as coasting. You risk or you rust. All right. So I'm excited about studying this book this year. I, uh, I'm really excited about, I think it's truth could not be more relevant in 21st century America. Uh, but just in conclusion, okay, a couple of things in conclusion. First, I'd encourage you uh, to enjoy some resources on this book. It'll be really helpful as we study a book that's a little harder than most books to have some resources. I'd encourage you guys to go online. Or for, first, I'd encourage you to read the whole book this week. Maybe uh, take an hour, get a lot of caffeine in your system, okay, and just go uh, 1 to 22. And you'll be, some, you'll be confused at parts, but just notice uh, there's a beginning and an end of the story, and it's very clear. Um, but uh, also, I'd encourage you to get on, get on YouTube. There's this really great resource called Read Scripture, uh, or it's called the Bible Project, two names for it. Um, and they have two 10-minute videos on the book of Revelation 
Now, these guys aren't perfect, but, but they, they do an incredible job of summarizing the book. So I'd encourage you guys to get on Read Scripture or uh, the Bible Project and watch those two 10-minute videos. Finally, I'd encourage you to come to Sunday school this semester not wanting to know cool facts like who are those flying scorpions in Revelation 11, okay? But, but wanting to learn what it means to conquer. That's what I encourage you guys to do. That's what, that's what I'd leave you all with. Come to the teaching of, the, of, of this book knowing what does Jesus have to say to me about perseverance and faithfulness? I'll, I'll, I'll pray the Lord would enable us to do that. So, Lord, uh, we thank you for this book, and we thank you, uh, Lord, that, that your word is sufficient uh, it's sufficient for everything we need for life and godliness, that it is sufficient to equip us, and um, that it's, it's able um, to change us. And so I do pray, Lord, as we study this book, that you would enable us to persevere, that you would show us what it looks like uh, to conquer like Jesus did. Give us a love for our enemies, give us a love for the lost, and give us a hope and a trust in you. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.